you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm Francis Harry, and I'm hosting this program. Our other host, Mark Danis, is present, but only in spirit. <laughs> That's because he is on a pilgrimage to Avila, Spain, walking in the footsteps of St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross, these great discalced Carmelites, saints and mystics and doctors of the church. And he's led by the discalced Carmelite friar father, Daniel Channing. So I ask you to please keep both of them in your prayers and all those on that pilgrimage. And Mark assured me that he would be offering all of us up in prayer, all of you listeners, um, that he would offer us up in prayer at all these famous places that he's visiting on this pilgrimage. And that is including the tombs of both Teresa and John. And so um, we're, I'm looking forward to hearing him talk about it. And he's going to share it with all of us. So be sure to tune in next week when I believe that he'll be sharing his story of the pilgrimage there, uh, walking in the footsteps of St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. So um, we have a great topic tonight, and I do have a guest, but before introducing him, um, I would like us to begin in prayer like we normally do. And our topic for tonight is about spiritual marriage. What is spiritual marriage? And this prayer actually comes from... St. Therese, The Little Flower. It's an excerpt from her story, The Soul. And I think it is a great way to begin this topic. So let us begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. O oh Jesus, I do not ask for riches or glory. I ask only for love. One thought is mine henceforth, dear Jesus. It is to love thee. I love thee. I love my mother, the church, and I bear in mind that the least act of pure love is of more value to her than all other works together. But does this pure love really exist in my heart? Oh, Jesus, grant that love may surround and penetrate me, that at each moment thy merciful love may renew and purify me, cleansing my soul from all trace of sin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so like I said, the topic for this conversation is what is spiritual marriage? Meanwhile, I would like to welcome our guest. I want to tell you a little bit about him. We've had him here on Carmelite Conversations before. It is Deacon and Dr. Um, Tracy Jameson. Tracy, are you there? Hello, Francis. Oh, hello. I'm so glad you're here. Well, let me, let me tell our audience about you. Um, Tracy, um, and I hope you don't mind me re- referring to you by your first name because I know you so well that <laughs> yes. I hope you don't mind. Okay. No, great. I prefer that. That's great. All right. Great. And I'm glad um, to be here with you again. Oh, we're, we're just so happy and blessed to have you. So I, I want our audience to know, um, Tracy is a member of the Cincinnati, Ohio OCDS, which is the secular order of discalced Carmelites there. 
And he was ordained as a permanent deacon of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati in 2010. And aren't we so very blessed by that? And he is currently the assistant professor of philosophy at the Athenaeum in Cincinnati, Ohio. So, Tracy, thank you for coming. And how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm here at the Athenaeum and uh, wrapping up a day and I can't think of a better way to wrap up a day than talking about Teresa. So, <laughs> Spiritual marriage. <laughs> yeah. This is a great topic. This should bring joy to all of our hearts, right? <laughs> That's right. What better way to spend time than meditating on Teresa's doctrine and understanding what the Lord is giving us through Christ? Well, I have to ask you, um, I, I had asked you um you know, what should we talk about tonight? Because I knew you were coming on, and this was one of the suggestions that you had. So why was this in your list? Why Why do you want to talk about spiritual marriage? Well, all over the world, <clears throat> for the past year, which has been the year of faith, um, we've been studying together in the Carmelite Order, uh, the interior castle. We've been reading through that. So all the communities worldwide of discalced Carmelites, you know, Teresa's, Teresa's reform. We've been meditating for a year now on the interior castle that she wrote, her major work. And so the last part of her work is on this topic. It's on the spiritual marriage. And therefore, it seems appropriate as we wind down the year of faith to, to end up together meditating on the perfection of faith, which we find in spiritual marriage. Well, I'm glad you said that, the perfection of faith, especially in this year of faith. And I think that answers my next question. Why should anyone be interested in learning about this? <laughs> because it is about the perfection of our faith. Now, um, uh, on behalf of our listeners, not all of them are Carmelites, of course. In fact, we have a, a variety of people in our audience. So could you just give us a few nuggets about who St. Teresa of Ava is and what this interior castle is about? Well, we look to her as the founder of the Reform within the Carmelite Order, and we look to her as our spiritual mother. She received a special call from our Lord to begin this endeavor and to uh, go back to a more primitive observance of the original rule of St. Albert. She recruited John of the Cross as one of her uh, disciples in this endeavor, and he became sort of the theologian of, of her reform. And so together, Teresa and John um, gave us a, a, new, a new way of thinking about uh, spirituality and gave us many uh, new in-depth understandings of the, the union that Christ offers us through, through his church. And I'd like to add that um, St. Teresa of Avila has written several classics that um, really teach us about prayer. She wrote The Way of Perfection, uh, the Autobiography, or the Book of Her Life. Uh, we've got the Book of Her Foundations. And, and then here, uh, this uh, spiritual marriage, uh, we um, put in line with the seventh mansion uh, on this journey of faith, from the first mansion being the beginning. Um, once you enter in the castle, um, 
through prayer, and that is entering into the soul, into this journey into the interior with God. I, um, I, I sense. So uh, we're we're we're, we're going to be talking tonight about the the top, <laughs> the best place to be. And I know Saint John the Cross usually starts his stuff with you know uh, what the the end goal is, and and that's with the union, so that we would desire to go on this challenging journey. Um, but uh, here we're going to be at the top. So e- to help our listeners, would you define the terms spiritual marriage? Where do we get that from, and what does that mean? Well, I like the way you put it there. It, it's the goal. So if we can understand the goal of the spiritual life, then everything will fall into place. So we need to know, we need kind of a picture, a vision of where we're headed and what the purpose of all this is. And so we start with the goal and understand that we can make sense of everything that comes in between. So in her in her work, The Interior Castle, which is her more mature work, uh, she, she uses this analogy of the different mansions that you brought up. Uh, she tried many different analogies in, in many of her works to explain stages of prayer or stages of the spiritual life, but in her mature work, she, she used this scheme of, of the mansions, and she has seven levels. And you might think, well, what are these in themselves? And I, I think the best way to put it is that these are degrees of theological virtue, which simply has to do with that infused faith, hope, and love, you know, in, in our intellect and will, uh, that God gives us. So these are degrees of love. These are also degrees of faith and hope, and these three virtues are inseparable. So she she pictures this as uh, a breakdown between a first stage, which is ascetical, or a stage of self-denial, a stage of acquired prayer, and then she contrasts that with the higher stages, which are mystical, and these are infused graces, infused stages of prayer. But her, her program is not unusual. I mean, every all the doctors of the Church and the saints down through the ages and the, the Catholic theologians, they've, they've always explained the spiritual life as ascetical, mystical. So when we make effort and draw close to God, in asceticism, you know, He draws close to us in mystical graces, in mysticism. So He, he imparts to us a new and higher knowledge of, of, his, of his own uh, divine life. So that's what she's talking about here, the, the stages along the way as we grow in faith, hope, and love. Right, and then the ascetical ones is what we do, the work we perform, you know, and how we're responding to the grace. But then in the latter stages, it's more of a passive part of the soul uh, responding to uh, the graces of God. And, you know, I have to say, I I ran across this definition of spiritual marriage, and, and... I'm a simple soul, so I like simple definitions. <laughs> and I, so I attached uh, uh, my uh, memory to this one, and it, and it said, a touch of heaven on earth. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like that. <laughs> and then I found one that kind of expanded that a little bit. But but I do like it. It is a sense of, of a touch of heaven on earth. It is, um, you know, to be able to have this great 
uh, union with God in this life that is so beautiful and so um, intertwined, so penetrated by God that you live and move in God. And and so I think uh, Father Gabriel St. Mary Magdalene who wrote the the great book Divine Intimacy? He he defined it as this way. He said, "The intensity of the soul's union with God depends on the perfection of its yes." And of course, I'm thinking of the fiat of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He yes. says, "What pleases God most is what the soul does." So, given um, and, and doing all of this with the great love. So, you know, um, it's this. Uh, the more perfect this soul's response to God's grace and his love, the tighter the union with God. So am I, am I in the right ballpark here? Oh, yes, uh, exactly. So I was meditating on this this evening myself as I was praying evening prayer, uh, evening prayer for Monday week one. We're praying that all over the world. And right there in the reading, St. Paul uh, in his letter to the Colossians, you know, he, he he gives this little prayer. He says, May you attain full knowledge of God's will through perfect wisdom and spiritual insight. Mm-hmm. And and he goes on to explain, you know, what that entails. And when we have that, that we will multiply good works of every sort, and we will grow in the knowledge of God. And, and we can endure joyfully whatever we may have to face. So St. Paul there is talking about that level of faith where it, it has become a constant form of knowing God, right? It, is, it has become, you might say, existential, or it's become personal. It's, it's, it's that level in, in the spiritual life where we have acquired the mind and heart of Christ. So that's what Christ wants to give us. He wants to give us his mind and his heart. And that means that we have to undergo a transformation. That means we begin to participate in the knowledge that Christ has and in the desires that that are in the heart of Christ. So we could think of this as acquiring the sacred heart and the sacred mind of Christ. That's what mm, Teresa's yes. describing. She's describing how that happens, you know. How, how does someone go through that transformation, you know, living the life of the sacraments, uh, you know, spending time in prayer, Eucharistic prayer, praying the Mass, mental prayer. But how, what is God doing? And what, is, what, what happens there in that encounter with Christ? Faith itself is an encounter with Christ in the depths of our heart. But that encounter can become continual. And Teresa describes how that happens when we, be- when we begin fully to acquire, acquire the very mind and heart of Christ as the Church, as the Church possesses. The Church, there's a union, there's a spiritual marriage between Christ and the Church, and that means that the Church possesses the mind and heart of Christ. Well, that kind of marriage, that nuptial union between Christ and the Church, it, it extends down through the members of the Church. And so that potential is given to each of us as we journey through life, 
that we encounter Christ, and we know as He knows, and we feel as He feels, we see others as He sees them, and we have His desires. If we are open to transformation, then that, that is what He's going to give us. Well, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that transformation, because I know I looked this up, um, St. John the Cross, uh, on how he defined spiritual marriage, and he said spiritual marriage is a total transformation in the beloved, wherein on either side there is made surrender by total possession of the one to the other with a certain consummation of union of love. Now, that's a long definition, but it reminds me of a, of a covenant, um, of a covenant with God, uh, that, that you're each giving completely to the other. And, you know, here on earth, our experience of marriage between a man and a woman, I mean, we can understand that and, and how the two come one, um, you know, a, a family unit and, you know, they're, they're blending together and, and the love itself is, is a, a union. And so that analogy um, is also very scriptural, and like you said, is also an analogy of the uh, church to Christ also. Um, so um, when this love unites and merges the creature, us, with mm-hmm. the creator, that means we have these two different natures coming together in one spirit and and love. So now that I know you're probably going to bring up these terms, so I'm going to just ask you to define them up front, so that if they come up in the conversation, we'll we'll have kind of a um, a basis to go from uh, the terms soul and spirit, because I know Teresa brings that up in the seventh mansion, and it's trying because she's not a theologian, she's trying to do determine you know some of the delicate intricacies of of these two terms. Can you help us out with soul and spirit? Well, she she uses them in in her own way, and uh, we can understand uh, what what she is describing there. Um, she she says that you know she wishes that she had a more sophisticated terminology uh, that would be more philosophically informed, like that of her of her disciple John of the Cross. She she doesn't have the the formal training that John of the Cross had, but she does fine with her terminology. We just have to understand, you know, and use it the way she's using it. And when she talks about the soul in general, it's really a biblical, uh, it's a biblical understanding of the soul. So she's taking this pretty much straight from the Bible. And so the soul for Teresa means the heart. So her term soul signifies the heart, and that is where faith resides, right? We believe with the heart. So Pope Francis, in his recent encyclical uh, Lumen Fidei, you know, describes this notion of the soul. He says, in the Bible, the heart is the core of the human person, where all his or her different dimensions intersect, body and spirit, interiority and openness to the world, openness to others, but also intellect and will and our affectivity. So that term soul, or for Teresa, she's talking about the heart, right? She's talking about the place of encounter with our Lord through the virtue of faith. All right, that's good. Yeah. And and what about spirit then? Well, for Teresa, 
Yeah, when she says spirit, she typically means, you know, what what uh, <clears throat> what what the strict definition of soul would be. I mean, when she says spirit, she's talking about that spiritual center of the heart, which is the two powers of intellect and will. This would be the unconscious, immaterial part of the human soul. This is the most spiritual center of the soul that is beyond consciousness, right? And yet it is the foundation for knowledge, and it is the foundation for intellectual, personal love. And so she plays back and forth between these two terms. So when she, when she talks about the interior castle or the soul, she's talking about something that resides in her interior consciousness. She's, she's talking about, you know, the consciousness that we have um, <clears throat> in our mind and heart. So you might say the soul for Teresa is the mind and the heart, while the spirit is the intellect and the will. The soul is something conscious, right? While, you know, it's full of thoughts and desires, for example. While while the intellect and the will, the spiritual part, is, is something that is beyond consciousness. It isn't directly experienced. It's only known indirectly. And that is that center where God dwells in our, in our, in the depths of our soul. And when she's talking about this deepest sinner, that, that is where she says this spiritual marriage with God takes place, is within our deepest sinner, correct? Oh, yes. And for her, you know, it, 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 you know, by, by our very existence, God is there. I mean, she always brings us back to that, you know. Our, first of all, we start with God's presence in us by sustaining us in existence right we we have our being in god and and so what she says is <clears throat> you know for our soul to become a heaven to be filled with light you know we have to be in a state of grace and then being freed from that darkness of sin we we begin to move toward that center where we see the light pouring into our soul that that light that grace that draws us to the presence of god deep within us. If we don't have grace as the foundation, as the starting point, then we're, we're blind, we're lost, and we're, we're, we're dark, and we, we can't even perceive the beauty of our own interior life. Well, that reminds me of uh, the scripture passage from John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease, right? So that this it brings up that whole sense of the self-emptying, emptying of self so that you can be filled with God, right? Yes. Christ present in the soul must reign over the soul. And so when we put the Lord first, that means you know, to acquire his mind and his heart in the way that he wants to pour out into us, it means that we lose our own ego, right? We lose our own selfishness. So we have to receive a new heart. We have to, our our own hearts, we don't lose our identity, right? We don't lose our human nature, but but it requires a, a fundamental transformation. We, we We literally must decrease. And so... In these advanced stages, a lot of what Teresa describes is, you might call it, a dismantling of the ego. 
you know uh-huh. it's a it's it's a, it's it's going deep into humility it's going deep into self abnegation and it's accepting things from the lord which are they can be very difficult right but it it is part of god's love because to have the mind and heart of christ our own mind and our own heart must decrease it must it must be you know it must be that we are putting christ first and living living for him alone so that he he truly is directing our every act and as we decrease we can identify with what saint paul says in galatians um 2:20 i live now not i but christ lives in me so it's very scriptural um but you know what oh boy time goes by so fast we're going to have a little bit of a break but when we come back from our break um we're going to talk about you know what's this what's the purpose of spiritual marriage what's what's the attitude of the soul and and you know how does this Teresa, describe what happens when spiritual marriage takes place. So we'll, we'll try to get to those three things when we get back. And, you know, we could talk on and on and on, but we, we're going to take a little bit of a break and we'll come right back. Please join us in just a few minutes. Thank you.
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. We're talking about spiritual marriage, um, which is also in the seventh mansion of the interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila, as she writes in her book, The Interior Castle. And I have our guest with us is Deacon and Dr. Tracy Jameson. So, Tracy, um, can you tell us what's the purpose now of spiritual marriage? Well, sure. The purpose is to be effective in good works. The purpose of prayer is to produce good works. So what kind of good works does Teresa emphasize? Well, if you look at the, you know, the, the Book 7 of uh, the Interior Castle, where the Seventh Mansions are described, and the way the whole treatise ends, it's with an emphasis on evangelization. It's, the emphasis is bringing souls to God. She's talking about how we become effective in bringing others to to Christ. And so she would say the purpose of spiritual marriage is to be an effective apostle. It's to, yes. it's to bring about a new Pentecost. It's to have an effective new evangelization, you know, it, in a practical way. It's, it's all about filling up the RCIA program with candidates <laughs> and catechumens. It's it's attracting others to the church, and we can't do that of ourselves. We can only do that when we're in union with Christ. And the more in union with Christ that we are, when we have the fullness of that union, then we become effective as apostles of Christ. That's the way it was in the beginning with the original Pentecost, and that's the way it is today. And in every age, when there's a new evangelization, it, it always comes about because people have gone deep, deep into prayer. Well, I know the nuns um, asked Teresa those questions, too, is, is like, well, you know, what's the purpose? And, you know, uh, we we have good sisters around us, so they're thinking, how can they do this? And, and Teresa's telling them, well, you know, who, who are you to judge in this matter? The, the better they are, the more pleasing their praises will be to our Lord, and the more their prayer will profit their neighbor, because she says, and I love this quote of Teresa, um, she says, the Lord doesn't look so much at, at the greatness of our works as at the love with which they are done. And um, so I, I know that these favors and the gifts of the Lord are to help fortify us and strengthen us so that we don't give up and, and that we persevere with that determined determination of Teresa in, in trying to love God and to please him, which I think St. Teresa, the little flower, was such a master of, just to please him in every way. And and typically we would start with the people around us, don't you think? <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Uh, Teresa... Teresa, you know, emphasizes that, and a lot of what Therese taught, you know, another doctor of the Church, St. Therese, what she was teaching was taken, a lot of it was taken straight from her spiritual mother, Teresa of Avila. And so the things that Therese emphasizes are, are there at the end of the interior castle. I mean, Teresa tells us, you know, not to build castles in the air, but but to do small things and, and to do them well and to serve those in our community, to serve those in our families. And that these, these little ways, the little ways are the way 
that we obtain great graces as we do these with love. We will be obtaining graces for them and for ourselves, but for the mission of the Church. The mission of the Church will will uh, be fulfilled because uh, of, of our work and, and how we are conducting our lives in union with Christ through this, through this intimacy that we have with Him each day as we serve Him and others. All right, well, now I'd like to get into the details of what actually happens in this spiritual marriage. Previously, in like the fifth and the sixth mansions, Teresa talks about types of union. The The fifth mansion was like the union of the will, and then the sixth mansion was like a, an ecstatic union. But but it wasn't like a continuous union. So, so here in the seventh mansion, we have a different kind of union, and... Um, you did use the words transformation, but but can you tell us, you know, what's happening? Because I think Teresa talks about, you know, bringing them into the castle and, you know, what the soul is experiencing. Well, I would encourage people to, you know, just get the interior castle. Uh, you can find it online and read it. Uh, you know, look at the seventh dwelling places, uh, chapter one, where the nature of spiritual marriage is described there. Chapter 1 of the Seventh Dwelling Places. You can just go online and read it. But look, look at what she describes and what she says this spiritual marriage consists in. And she says that it's an intellectual vision, right? right. It, it is something that is in the intellect that is a form of knowledge. And it is the point at which God reveals His presence in the soul in, 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 the, in the most... Um, clear way possible uh, through through the the means of faith. So, what is the object of this knowledge? It is actually the Trinity. She even says that she understands through this intellectual vision the presence of the Trinity in her soul, and that she sees that these persons are distinct, and she understands what these persons are doing and how they are communicating themselves to her. So this is an encounter with God, with the Holy Trinity, in the depths of the soul through, through this intellectual vision. Now, in Teresa's terminology, she's not talking about an image. You know, this is not perceptual. This is not in the imagination. This is not any kind of image. It's more like a form of understanding. So... It is, some, it is a form of knowing that is present in the intellect, right, present there through this divine love that is infused in the will. It's, it's a knowledge that comes from union. So it is understanding with the very uh, mind and heart of Christ. It, it's possessing something of what Christ possessed in his own interior life. You know, he by, he by his very nature, uh, his human intellect and will, his human mind and heart were informed with his divine essence. Now, we don't possess that by nature, but by faith and grace, he wants to share that with us. And so we begin to participate in that. So just based on Teresa's own description, I think you have to conclude that, well, if you're going to define what she's talking about, you know, she uses that analogy, which is a great analogy of marriage, you know, meeting, betrothal, and marriage being the full union. 
But she says it's something intellectual, and she says it's a form of knowledge. So really the genus here, if you're going to define it, the genus is, well, it's a kind of knowledge. It's an infused supernatural knowledge, and the difference is that it's the kind of knowledge that's possible by way of divine love. And so that is how it's infused in us. That it is and there's, the depth- a certainty, there's a certainty here, too. There's no question about this. Right? The soul understands that this has really, truly happened. Yeah, she says if you doubt it, then you you just haven't got there yet, right? (laughs) You haven't got there yet. That's a good point. (laughs) Yeah, she just, she points that out a couple of times there. She says, you know, that there's no way that the devil is is, uh, imitating this, you know, that, that this is, it's got two characteristics. It's it's an indirect form of knowledge which has a certain non-conceptual obscure element, right? Mm-hmm. And then she says, but it's absolutely certain. And so this is, this is actually two properties of faith. Faith is always obscure and indirect, but it's also certain. It's a higher certainty even than science, right? So right. She, she's from beginning to end, she describes the development that faith is undergoing and what it terminates in. And it terminates in a kind of knowing which is non-conceptual and somewhat inexpressible, she admits, right? John of the Cross says the same thing. This kind of knowledge, this touch, this depth of contemplation is basically inexpressible, but it's, it's, a, it's a knowing of the Trinity which is personal it's through personal union so it's an you know what we would call an existential form of knowing and and uh, that that is what is possible for us in this life it is not the beatific vision it is not right. it is not literally heaven right but it is as close to heaven on earth as we can get it's Right. It's one a step touch. away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a touch of heaven. <laughs> right. Yeah, and if you if you me. think about it, yeah, it's probably probably, you know, it's the kind of knowledge that Mary had. Yes. Uh, I mean yes. that's probably that yeah. And she's the you know, the, the, the perfect model of faith for it, is she not? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, many many theologians, especially Thomas Aquinas, would emphasize that Christ from the first moment of his conception, possessed the beatific vision, right? So Christ possessed that, which means he really didn't need faith. He didn't need the virtue of faith. That's what Thomas Aquinas teaches, right? Now, other theologians have disagreed, and there's some room for disagreement there. But but Mary, on the other hand, she's the model of faith, and the perfection of faith is this spiritual marriage. So this is becoming... This is, you know, become having acquiring a way of knowing that would be mystical and would be the way of knowing that our Blessed Virgin Mary had in 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 the depths of her heart. It's not the beatific vision, right? It is an intellectual vision that is still faith. It's through faith, and Mary goes into that dark night of faith, and she she becomes our model, our model for that journey. Well, I'm thinking of the the. Two scripture passages from John. Um, in John fourteen twenty three, he says, this is what Jesus is saying. If anyone love me, my father will love him and we will come to him and we will, we will make our abode with him. And then 
in John seventeen twenty one, he says, As thou, Father, are in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. And I'm just like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for making that prayer, that we may be <laughs> one in you. You know, it, it's like, does Jesus lie? No. So what he says is is actual, you know, that it, it's actual factual. <laughs> I don't remember which <laughs> Disney song that's in, but it's, I think it is. <laughs> but anyway, the, the idea that, oh, Yes, this is truly possible in this life that that we can have a sense of this, and so I, I I'd like you to speak. Do you remember the image? Uh, I know in the sixth mansion, uh, she in the fifth mansion, she's talking about the union of like you know the two candles uh, coming together and creating one flame, and yet you can still pull the the candles apart, but. Um, she uses an image of water for this spiritual marriage. Do you remember what what that image was about the water? No, I don't recall that. Yeah, something about yeah. like like the raindrops. They're they're falling from the sky, and there's a multitude of them. So they're individuals, but they're coming into the stream, and then they become oh. one in that stream. And you you can't go plucking them back out. So so you are are in united mm-hmm. so. Uh, tightly that you are not in, you're not distinguished by yourself anyway, anymore. But, I mean, we well, realize well, that. I mean, we, we would, you know, we would say, okay, we, we become one spirit with Christ, but we, we you know, we, we wouldn't want to push that to the point where we would say we would lose our nature or our right, identity. Right, you're right, right, you're right. So <laughs> we, 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 we retain, we retain our own person right but we become one with christ and right so and he, we're he, human he elevates nature, our but, nature yeah yeah we're human yeah. nature but we he's letting us participate in his divine nature um, yes our, our human nature is elevated and divinized and so we we are giving a new way of knowing and a new way of loving that go beyond human potential Right, we we begin to we begin to participate through Christ. We 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 acquire a participation in the eternal knowledge and the eternal love that exists within the Trinity, which transforms us. Right, we remain who we are, but we become what we are not. <laughs> so right. the, the reason the reason Christ became a son of God, right, was so that so that we can, you know can be divinized. So. I mean, the reason Christ became a son of man was so that we can become sons of God, so to speak. You know, he, he, he remains what he is and becomes what he is not, and then he divinizes us. And so we, we begin to participate in, in, that, in that kind of union. Of course, we know that this is not all just feel-good stuff, right? There's, if we're going to be like Christ, we are going to be also carrying the cross with him, right? Well, yes. I mean, Teresa and John, they they both emphasize that in these higher mansions, you go through the cross. So this is participating in in the highest joys, right, in the highest uh, union, but it's always through the cross. So you're also participating in the most difficult. You're participating in the very passion uh, of Christ. And so there's a death and a burial. You know, there's a night before that comes before the dawn. There's the dark night mm-hmm. before the dawning of the day. So this knowledge is never granted, you know, except to those who have passed through the depths of the cross. And uh, and and that is a dying to self. That that is 
that that it, that comes in different ways for different people but but the reason that most people don't receive this kind of union these higher levels is because we tend to flee away from the cross you know we we run away from mm-hmm. it when we encounter it because it's difficult and and we don't accept the cross the way mary did right we we right. we we pull away and so that's always the challenge and probably yeah. we should we should point out you know that when we when we describe this you know we're we're you know this spiritual marriage you know we're, we're taking the saints word for this right and and you i love the way you quoted from scripture there and you said well this is a promise that jesus has given us and he's trustworthy and he wants us all you know, to to have this, and he is going to reveal himself and manifest himself to those who obey him. Yes, we 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 see this in the lives of the saints. Uh, so when we talk about spiritual marriage and these higher unions, you know, we're not speaking from the authority of our own experience. We're speaking with the the science of the saints. We're we're taking the promises of Christ and Therese, the saint, you know, Saint Teresa and Saint John and Saint Therese and what the other saints have described for us to to understand what this union consists in. So, you know, I, I, I know I don't possess this union myself. It's way beyond me. And and when I encounter the cross, my, my inclination is to just get away from it, right? But mm-hmm. I, I know that holiness is embracing the cross, and so that that's always a challenge. And, and you know, if we stick with Teresa and we realize the value of humility and how humility conquers the king just by being humble and saying, no, Lord, I can't do this, but you can do it in me. So please help me to, to be all that you desire of me because, you know, he really wants us there with him. There's nothing uh, better for him than have all of us there in, in this spiritual marriage with him outside of the beatitude, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's when so, he's okay. effective, you know, when we become extensions of his activity when we when we when we open our lives up in generosity to that. I mean, everyone's talking these days as they have been for a while about we need a new evangelization. Yeah, we do, but you know, we we have to be generous to accept you know what it means to become an instrument you know, of, of uh, apostolic endeavor at that level. You know, we, we pray that we would we would be like Teresa and that we would, you know, have an apostolic life, uh, but it requires that kind of self-sacrifice that we see in Teresa's life and all that she went through and St. John of the Cross's life and all that he went through. So that that is what it requires. Well, you know, Tracy, I, I can imagine some of our listeners out there are probably saying, well, that's probably for only those priests or nuns or those special types. So can you comment on, you know, about is this possible for little old you and me? <laughs> it is exactly the way St. Therese put it. I, St. Therese took this doctrine, right, which she got from John and, Ter- and Teresa, and she said, you can live this out in in your ordinary life, and it's possible for everyone. So, this is this is a holiness that is not attached to any one state of life, right? A, a mother at home, with you know taking care of children, and not being able to go to mass perhaps every day, but 
pouring herself out for her family and and raising those children and 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 living sacrificially and and you know being a school of prayer and a school of virtue and nurturing their faith and mothering them and giving her whole life you know in love for her own family i mean she's living this right so the mm-hmm. the heights of mystical union you know are are there for everyone regardless of our state of life and we don't have to be priests or nuns to live this, right? But, of course, they possess a state of life which is objectively more perfect. However, subjectively, you know, God, God's holiness is poured out in, in our minds and our hearts, and, 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 and it's, it's attached to, you know, are we, are we sacrificing ourselves? So we see many lay people whose sacrifice for their family and for others is is astounding and we and we see right. that that's God's love in their heart. Well, yes, and I'm so glad you've pointed all that out and and some of those characteristics you talked about are exactly what Teresa writes about in chapter 3 of this uh seventh mansion when she talks about the wonderful effects of this spiritual marriage of this spiritual perfection and and you know there's such a profound forgetfulness of self and and the desire to you know do all for the glory of god and the salvation of souls and and it just comes through and it it seems to be the standard for every decision that that comes before a soul is that you know they're thinking well you know what would please god most and and such a a generous self-giving um these are the people that even love persecution and persecutors right <laughs> yeah that, you see you see that i mean that's amazing you know you you say well a person who has received this kind of perfection and passed through the cross and the dark night what what kind of love do they have they have a love that you know they they're loving those who are crucifying them they're they're yes, loving just... their persecutors and they have a more special fondness for those who Treat them the worst, you know, because th- their love is God's love, right? Their their love, their love is is a love that is not merely receptive to good. I like to put it that way because that's Thomas. That's what Thomas always points out. He says, if our love is going to be divine, if if we're going to have God's love, that means we love even those who are not very lovable. You know, we we love the sinner, and and that's a genuine love, and mm-hmm. and and that is certainly possible if if we're in union with Christ, that we can that we can truly love those who who you know who do things to us which are unjust, and that's something we should all be working for. So, you know, the human inclination, my inclination, is always, you know, if 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 somebody does something unjust, I mean, I. I become resentful and I keep a grudge for quite a long time, right? So, I mean, that, I that all, that, that, all, that all is, that, that's all gone, you know, in spirit, if you're in spiritual, uh, marriage, if you're, if you're at the high perfection, then that, that, you don't, you're, you have no such concerns anymore. And when you think of those who have wronged you, it's always with, uh, you, with God's love that you think of them. That's what it means to have the mind and heart of Christ, right? And that's what he right. wants to make possible for us, yeah. So I always thought that a dead giveaway was if, if you love suffering, <laughs> that, that you've, you're at a high level. 
<laughs> love of suffering in a sense that it is, you know, because of the love that's there, not because you're into, you know, being hurt <laughs> physical pain. We're not talking about that kind of loving right. of suffering, okay? It's not <laughs> so, a psychological um, disorder, no. Yeah. Right. It, right, it only right. makes sense. It only makes sense within the context of, you know, uh, fulfilling the mission of the church. So you, you, you love, you love when you encounter these things because you're participating in, in the very life of Christ and your suffering is redemptive. So it, it's, a, it's an act of giving yourself totally. So it's, 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 it's the kind of sacrifice that again we see like in a mother, right? A mother who takes joy in putting her children first and loving them sacrificially to the point where you know it, it you know it's 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 a form of suffering yes but she doesn't experience that way because the way she experiences is she's doing this for her children and and she's loving them well that's so beautiful and you know when you think about well how would we answer that question well how do i get there i i think a simple answer would be you you just respond favorably to God's call in every way that you can uh, and knowing that he is your strength and you rely on him and you keep your eyes fixed on him and you know just respond lovingly to his call to you because he wants you there more than you want to be there <laughs> right well there's three factors right you've got to you've got to study which means you, you, you read John of the Cross, you read Teresa, she, they both say you've got to know the spiritual life. You have yes. to know this science, right? You have to learn it. And then she says, and then you have to have good spiritual direction, right? You, ha- you have to have the knowledge, the study of it, and then good spiritual direction to, to help you advance in the spiritual life. And then you have to have the generosity, as you say, to 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 uh, respond to God's impulses and and how He's directing you. I, yeah. I work here for the Athenaeum, and so at the Athenaeum we try, you know, we have we 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 have uh, many different forums and and uh, educational opportunities to to study the spiritual life in depth. And so, you know, if if anyone's interested. We can only cover so much in an hour, but if if anyone's interested, you know they can uh, they can look at what we have to offer here through the Athenaeum of Ohio. If you just go uh, online, it's athenaeum.edu. That's a t h e n a e u m, athenaeum.edu, and and look and see what uh, you might be able to. Uh, courses, or we have an adult spirituality institute here, which uh, is is got wonderful resources to study the spiritual life. Well, and with that, our hour has come to a conclusion, and I'm just so grateful that you have come onto the program and shared with us some uh, better understanding of what this spiritual marriage is in that seventh mansion of the interior castle and that it's possible for all of us. And um, I know next week um, Mark is going to be back and um, we're going to be talking about his pilgrimage to Spain. And meanwhile, um, for any of our listeners out there, if you want to contact us on Facebook, you just look up Carmelite Conversations or you can email us at capital C Carmelite dot conversations at yahoo dot com. 
And our archived programs are at www.radiomaria.us. Under programs, you can look for Carmelite Conversations. So you can listen to this conversation again, because I'm going to have to go back and listen to you, Tracy, because I really liked your answers. Uh, they helped me understand, and um, I'm so glad we're going to have that on archive. So I want to thank you again, Tracy, for being with us, and I want to ask you if you would please um, give us a closing prayer and your blessing, please. Okay, well, let's use the prayer from uh, the, the Pope's first encyclical, Pope Francis. At the end, he says, Let us turn in prayer to Mary, Mother of the Church, Mother of our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Mother, help our faith. Open our ears to hear God's Word and to recognize His voice and call. Awaken in us a desire to follow in His footsteps, to go forth from our own land, and to receive his promise. Help us to be touched by his love, that we may touch him in faith. Help us to entrust ourselves fully to him and to believe in his love, especially at times of trial, beneath the shadow of the cross, when our faith is called to mature. So in our faith, the joy of the risen one. Remind us that those who believe are never alone, Teach us to see all things with the eyes of Jesus, that he may be the light for our path. And may this light of faith always increase in us until the dawn of that undying day, which is Christ himself, your Son, our Lord. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again, and thank you, listeners. We hope you'll join us again next Monday night for Carmelite Conversations. God bless you. Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.